0: welcome brothers and sisters to another edition of the xx mormon podcast the way station to better things today i'm joined by a longtime friend of mine uh brother nielsen uh who's joined us from the stake he's the stake executive secretary and he's here to set some things straight for us
1: absolutely glad to, so well, <laughs> glad to be here you apostates
0: right thank you, know. you brother nielsen for joining us so Today, we're going to get into, there's a, there's a question that's frequently asked on the ex-Mormon subreddit. What would the church have to change in order for you to go back? And so that is what we're going to get into today, is what would the church need to change or do in order for the apostates like ourselves to go back and, and return to the one fold and
1: one shepherd? Absolutely, yeah. So I've seen this question get asked quite a few times on the Mormon subreddit the ex-Mormon subreddit and I've tried to think of what would be an honest answer to that question and maybe I should uh lead with a little bit of my story I guess yeah go ahead so um I have been probably PMO for 10 years I uh I was doing my absolute best to um do what I thought a good Mormon boy should do had been married, just had our first kid, and uh, it was not a good time. I was pretty miserable with it. After I don't know six months of a colicky kid and hours and hours of church callings uh, and no sleep, I got pretty depressed and decided that I would draw a line in the sand on you know what. I would give to the church while also kind of respecting my own mental health and well-being. And I lived that way for a good 10 years before ever coming to uh, understand what I think most of our audience knows about church history and all that. It was only like seven or eight months ago that I started having some conversations with friends and read gospel talk, essays, and then went down the whole rabbit hole of the CES letter and getting caught up on the Mormon stories podcast backlog and, and finding this podcast and all that good stuff. So in that 10 years, I'd kind of, you know, come to accept um, just uh, that the church wasn't really for me, but I still kind of thought it might be true. And I resented the church a lot for, things that it had, um, you know, decisions it had played in my life, uh, how, how it shaped major life choices. But I kind of found a, an okay spot for it. And then when you read about all the stuff that we're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. I guess it had reopened a new sense of or feelings of betrayal and all that. Um, and so now I'm trying to, to work through, I guess, that again. And, and this podcast and the humor that you guys have brought has been a, <laughs> a good way of dealing with all that. So, yeah, no, that, I guess that that's, you know, the 10-second the version of my story with everything. And uh, me and Bishop Jensen go fairly uh, a way back.
0: At least 20 years, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. At least 20 I uh, we got to know each other best, I think, in why I say though, right? Yes, Where yeah. So I always thought years. that maybe you were hitting on my girlfriend at the time, or and
0: unfortunately, I, I was like you <laughs> were one thinking, I was. Um, and we can we can do a whole episode on the messed up dating dynamics of of Mormonism and highly highly dent- and densely Mormon areas. Um, I know there's one thing you mentioned uh, that our state president had said, which was unless there's a ring on her finger, she's still free game. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, And that, that really said it all. Like when you're getting divine permission to hit on any girl you find interesting, um, regardless of her relationship status, like that creates an insanely hostile dating market.
1: Oh yeah. There was, there was this one guy it's one, I, I want to swear, we swear on this podcast, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're <laughs> there was this on, one yeah. asshole who would keep hitting on their girlfriend and, and thought that he was okay to do it because, you know, the state president had personally told him it was okay. <laughs> so there was no Is that JW? Him. Um. JW. I'll, I'll tell you after. I got okay. to think of his, All right. his name.
0: Yeah, no problem. But I think I know who you're talking about. And yes, so the YSA becomes an insanely hostile dating market. And uh, it's it's a weird place. I think it's a weird place. I know uh, when I was dating in high school and, and I date non-members, there were there was a sense of boundaries and, and territory or whatever you want to call it. But then when you get into the YSA word, it is like this mad free for all. And you do get those comments from bishops or stake presidents where they're like, you guys need to be dating and pursue anybody you're interested in, regardless of their relationship status and blah, 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 and you need to get married. And that's your priority in life and, and on and on and on. And it creates a real messed up environment. So, but yes, anyways, the earliest beginnings of our friendship would be me hitting on your girlfriend. Yes. (laughs) much to my everlasting shame. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's how a lot of great friendships are born I think. yeah right yeah
0: <laughs> so um yeah but i guess uh i mean it never worked out for the three of us which is probably for the best because i believe she's uh
1: still in the church and we are not so yeah there's there's a the chance end. that she could listen to this podcast sometime down the road so we should be careful <laughs> about what we
0: say okay we won't <laughs> talk too much i guess there's only two kinds of members in the church those that have left and those that are on about to leave. So yes, there is a chance she may find somebody. I feel that
1: that is um, surprisingly accurate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, so anyway, so getting into what would make you stay in the church? That's a question that is repetitively asked. Um, and I think you and I both have kind of the same answer is that it would have to be what it says it is.
1: Well, yes and and no. Right? So okay. that that's the first if I if I were to try and answer this question honestly, I mean, I could never truly see myself going back. But there's enough people asking the question and there's enough people who are in trying to make it stay that I think it's worth talking about. And and my wife is is one of them. So again, mm-hmm. we're not going to try and dox her and and I don't want to speak for her, but when I Went through and and discovered things. It it came out that you know my wife has a couple good friends who'd left the church um, seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. um, who had been bringing up issues to her. So she actually knew some of these things before I did, um, mm-hmm. but hadn't wanted to like really go into or explore them. And um, as I start looking into to things she started listening to a a podcast that tries to like faithfully follow the uh the the come follow me lessons but with Mm -hmm. a feminist perspective and so she listens to their take on on polygamy and suddenly like it snaps her shelf on Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like that was not inspired of god in the least when Mm -hmm. you start learning about um how polygamy was actually implemented so now she's working her way through her own faith transition, but she still wants to stay. She wants to take the blue pill, whatever mm-hmm. that you guys call it, uh, at least for now. Um, and so it makes this kind of interesting um, spot for us and the kids because we both, you know, don't think it's what it claims to be. But we have to try and navigate um, what this participation looks like for us, for our two daughters and all that. So, yeah, I, I'm in the camp. You talked at some point about, you know, do you want to be the person who's trying to change it from within or do you want to see it burn down and kind of toast your marshmallows on the fire? <laughs> yeah. And I, I'd yeah. be happy to start toasting marshmallows if that was if that was the case, if it started crumbling down.
0: I mean, I some people get incensed when the church publicly says the things that it believes, the harmful things that it believes. But yep. I like want to throw a party when Brad Wilcox gives a talk like the one he just gave that that has been in the news because um, he's only really saying what the church truly believes. And he's peeling. He's shining a light on some core beliefs and thoughts of the the membership. And yep. I I think they should say what they used to think about black people and what their scriptures say about black people. I think they should clearly state their opinion on on the LGBTQ uh on LGBTQ people and members of the church because that accelerates its demise. I know some people get hurt by that, but no shine a light on all the ugliness of this church, burn it down, burn it down as fast as possible.
1: So we had, we had talked about this um, before we got into uh, the episode, but there was two kinds of camps here, right? Or maybe three camps. There's, there's people like you and I who, we're kind of happy to be separated from it. Right. Let's move on and and toast marshmallows from time to time. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people who are trying to work to change it from within. Mm -hmm. And then what I learned about in the last couple of weeks is this third camp of the people who are struggling because it's not true enough. Right. Yeah. That's how you put it. Yeah. Um, So there was a, um, Talked about on a recent Mormon Stories podcast, the stake in Utah, where they were finding out that they had people leaving Mm -hmm. because uh, these were people who were having issues with President Nelson's uh, stance on vaccines and people who were a little more right wing and not liking how liberal the church was on certain policies. And this was causing them to lose more members, they said, Mm -hmm. than what we traditionally would have thought church history issues or LGBTQ issues or any of that stuff. And that came as a bit of a surprise to me. I don't know if that was for you, but I I guess that's, I
0: was, I was in that camp. I wasn't not the anti-vax QAnon conspiracy theory camp, but I would say when Russell M. Nelson became the president of the church and he starts announcing all these things as revelations that are really just kind of like we're merging the elders quorum. And um we're renaming home teaching and we're reaffirming the legal name of the church. And he's saying it's like the gospel's continuing to be restored. I remember saying to like the Elders quorum President, I said, let's back up here. Moses came down the mountain with Ten Commandments, Joseph Smith brought gold plates, and Russell Nelson modifies a few programs. And all three of those things are are equal. <laughs> like, is that what we're saying? It's fine.
1: I, it's yeah. Home church was such an inspiration,
0: <laughs> right? And, and we're, right, we're we're putting all three of those things on the same level. They're all revelation from God, and that was what that was my final push out the door was. I realized these prophets aren't really the prophets that they say they are.
1: So I think that it, that leads into the the first point that we wanted to, or that I wanted to make, I guess. Yeah, pretty well. So uh, let's let's rehash. Neither of us are ever
0: foresee ourselves
1: going back. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe, maybe playing a bit of a devil's advocate for the people who are still inside. And, and uh, you know, if, if I was forced to still be inside, what things would I want to see changed? Mm -hmm. And the first would be that they'd have to come clean that revelation doesn't work as advertised. Yeah. It's, What is taught from the pulpit? Um, And even then, when you go and look into church manuals and everything, it's such a convoluted story of how revelation is supposed to work.
0: Mm -hmm. You got guys like
1: Wilford Woodruff saying, it's not in the program for a prophet of the church to ever lead you astray. But this whole, like, when are they speaking as a man versus speaking as a prophet versus whatever is, is left up in the air. Um, and so, I, I Yeah go ahead.
0: Can I interject? Like you're an engineer by trade, right? Yeah. So you rely on very highly precise calibrated measuring tools, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So if you had a measuring tool that only gave you the right result ninety nine point nine percent of the time, what would you do with that tool? Ninety
1: nine point nine percent of the time would be pretty Good, actually.
0: <laughs> no, let's say like you had a calculator, right? And it only gave oh, okay. you, so if you put two plus two in there, only 99.9% of the time is it going to give you four. 0.1% of the time, it's going to give you an answer that is not four.
1: Yeah. If you're if right? it is marketed as being accurate and it's not accurate the way it is, you can't use it, right? Exactly. In, so In revel- engineering where lives are on the line and whatever, I mean, yeah. I, I think your example could be better but, um, the, <laughs> well, give if, okay.
0: Like, give me the better example then. Well, it's, it's
1: <laughs> it, like a you know,
0: classical engineer fashion, right? It's like, you <laughs> got a little too, uh, imaginative here. Let's bring everything down to earth. Let's get precise. Uh, tools. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you market something and you say that it is, you know, sex Panther, 60% of the time it works every time. If it's supposed yeah. <laughs> to work a certain number of the time, it has to, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of instruments that I would buy or procure in my job that, you know, they, they will give an accuracy reading. They'll say that, they, you know, we're going to give you a reading within plus or minus uh, 2% accuracy. And if it doesn't do that, it's good for nothing. It's not You, you can't trust it. It's, it's not reliable. Right. And like I you've think-
0: got, Yeah, you've got these thresholds, right? Uh, I know on some highly precise calipers and stuff. I know, like, we calibrate calipers in, in Vernier and micrometers and stuff like that. We get these calibration blocks within so many thousands of an inch and stuff like that. But the the idea is, is that like, if we calibrate this thing to be accurate within so many thousands of an inch, and it's not accurate within that many thousands of an inch, we throw it out.
1: Yeah. Well, and are you saying that church revelation is accurate 99.999%? <laughs> what I'm time? saying
0: is that revelation is marketed as accurate 100% of the time. But if that the thing reality. doesn't return the right result, even, like if you've got a calculator that doesn't, if you've got a chance that it won't give you the right result, you're going to throw out that calculator. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Any kind of measure. I know there's confidence intervals and stuff like that. What I'm saying is more like, are you confident that it's going to even give you the advertised result? Yeah. So it's like, is this thing, it says it'll give me a precise measurement within thousandths of an inch, but really it's, it may not even give me the right measurement within inches. It would be like
1: having a calculator that like half the time you're expecting it to give you a precise value. And the other Mm -hmm. half the time, it's just giving a wild ass guess.
0: And you don't know which one's the wild ass guess and which one's the, exactly. Which one's the accurate measurement. So you like have to go back paper and pen and recalculate everything by hand to see if the thing's actually spitting out the right answer. And I think that's the way it goes with revelation, right? It's like, Revelation is 100% accurate, except for everything Brigham Young said.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when I was doing a little research for this, I found a quote from um, J. Reuben Clark that yeah. I it just made me laugh. So right. I'll, let me read that for you real quick. So it, this is some church lesson that's talking about, you know, uh, prophets are only a prophet when they're acting as such, when they're inspired by the Holy Ghost. So he says, we can tell when speakers are moved upon by the Holy Ghost only when we ourselves are moved upon by the Holy Ghost. In a way, this completely shifts the responsibility from them to us. So it's up to us to determine when they so speak. I don't know about you, but that seems like such a load of horseshit.
0: <laughs> well, like J. Rubin Clark, also notable anti-Semite. Okay. Just want to throw yeah. that in there uh he was he was he supported the nazi party so <laughs> but prior geez. to world like in the 30s he was uh he was pro nazi party yeah
1: just fantastic wow so <laughs> great guy, great guy yeah. all let's, let's sustain let's sustain and support this brother yeah um so yeah so they 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 can't even tell us when they are speaking by influence of the Holy Ghost, when they can tell us when it's supposed to be revelation and when it's not. How convenient is that? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I really enjoyed as I was going through my you know rabbit hole of Exmo content over the last seven months, I did get into the street epistemology stuff mm-hmm. and it was really fascinating to me. It's like how flimsy the foundation that most people's testimony is that right? It's these good feelings that the thing that they can't deny is that they had this good feeling this one time or something Mm -hmm. that was a a coincidence. Now I'm not going to try and belittle people's spiritual experiences to that extent, but uh, like, I don't know about you, but I never had any, even though those times where I felt, you know, my most inspired on my mission or anything like that, I look back at it now and it was, really not a very persuasive uh, spiritual experience, right? And it's not going to be anything more than someone, uh, a Muslim or a Hindu or someone in another faith is is going to have, that's going to persuade them that they're following the truth. Um, and it really is this toxic thing to say that the church has this monopoly on communication from God Mm -hmm. and that it's all centered in this uh, one group of 15 men. And if you feel you're getting led by uh, God to something else, well, you better repent. You're in the wrong. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when we have this history in the church of uh, even, even those leaders being deceived, right? You go into early church history and you've got... Oh, 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 uh, sorry. Who was it? Hiram Page, who was trying to, um, get revelations from the seer stone. I was like, uh, yeah, no, some, some revelation comes from the devil.
0: Yeah. And be careful. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the only one who can get revelation from a seer stone. So, yeah. Knock yeah. it up. Like, it's that gift's not given to you. Never mind. Let's, let's start codifying some things. Let's start building the, Because that's how the hierarchy of the church starts building, right? Joseph Smith starts out very egalitarian; everybody can receive spiritual gifts. Then this hierarchy starts emerging, and it's because when you are trying to control a church, you don't want everybody to have spiritual
1: gifts, exactly, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, Reading, reading, I am reading through Rough Stone or not Rough Stone Rolling. Every no man knows my history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no man knows my history, and it's it's similar in how he's um, making up the organization of the priesthood. Yeah. He he's starting to define this, and then you know, the, the bishop over um I, I can't remember was it Bishop Partridge was starting to get too much power, so it has to make a new position, uh the president of the milk of the, the higher priesthood just to, to yeah. try and reassert his dominance over the structure and not lose control of this fledgling church.
0: Exactly. And then so the church starts out as being this very anti Catholic, anti establishment grassroots kind of church but then it's like what joseph smith discovers is that in order to control a group of people he has to become the catholic church and like brigham young through to harold Beeley, those guys fully realize that in terms of the structure of the church correlation all those things is that you can't really have a free-spirited moved by the holy ghost kind of church and maintain a sustainable structure yeah right yeah 100
1: percent Yeah, And then that that's, uh, so really you start viewing it in that light. And, um, I mean, that was one of the the first things when you start realizing that this revelation was fallible, it makes any experience that I feel like where I had personal revelation feel Mm -hmm. like it was, you know, some cheap trick, right? Yeah. All those moments that maybe once felt, um, validating or special suddenly feel like uh like little deceptions right like mm-hmm. like you've just been let along by the notes this whole time anyway so i i would want them to come clean about that would they ever
0: no never i like they can't they can't because it would undo the church
1: i think that's groups. my opinion for both groups, yep. right? The people who don't believe it's true enough. And for the mm-hmm. people who, um, because if, if, if you lose the idea of uh, personal revelation, mm-hmm. then what does the church offer?
0: Yep. It, nothing, right? I'd say like another thing is is liberal Mormons, cafeteria Mormons, the change of church from within Mormons, they're not the ones doing hard callings. They're not the ones going to the temple. They're not the ones paying a full tithe, right? No, no. 100%. It's the hardcore anti-vax right-wingers who will do the hard callings, who will pay a full tithe, who will put, who will pull handcarts to Jackson, Missouri, uh, in preparation for the end of the world, right? So the church ends up being in this weird place where, like, they're trying to appeal to liberal Mormons as much as they can while still keeping their, hardcore right-wing Mormons who will actually do the heavy lifting. So yeah. to walk, to walk back on the revelation and the personal revelation, they, they might appeal to liberal Mormons, but they will lose the core group of followers who are actually do the work.
1: So what are they going to do? Do they keep walking this line of, I mean, it's revelation except for when it's not considering that the memory hole is going away and that, that, uh, today's revelation is easily checked up on in five, 10 years, or are they just going to continue to, to, you know, hope that members stick their heads in the sand?
0: Like my personal view is I think they'll go more mainstream. I think they will try to become the dominant Christian church in America because all Christianity is waning. And so when you're an in industry where all your competitors are kind of struggling, that's where mass consolidations take place. So I think they're going to try and use their money and influence to try and mainstream.
1: Um, and I, I actually agree with you on that, which if you'd asked me two years ago, I I would have said no. Cause that, that, that goes against all the, like, it's not true enough camp mm-hmm. of Mormons, right? Yeah. It's revelation has to work a certain way. If you become more mainstream, you are diluting, what the original truth claims are. But I think that's the only way that in the long term, they survive. And I do think that it's going to run like a, this is the cynic in me that it's going to run Mm -hmm. more like a corporation. It's going to try and find its way of broadening its appeal in order to survive. And I think that that's the, the more likely outcome.
0: But I think like on the flip side, I think you will see more extremist splinter groups emerging. So I think it's going to, become more schismatic (laughs) and fracture more and they're going to like Denver snuffer who says he's received a visitation of Jesus Christ and blah, blah, blah. And leads these remnant movements that he's, he's kind of, excuse me, hailed as a prophet. I think you're going to find more of those weird splinter groups that kind of break off, break off, break off and become more crazy and fundamentalist. Yeah. No, I I can see that. There's a lot of crazy fundamentalists of every religion in the U S right now.
1: Well, I mean, the last couple of years, we're seeing how divided, um, the landscape is for the political spectrum, uh, the religious spectrum, I think is just going to follow suit. And, mm-hmm. you know, people, people are becoming more, um, they're, they're feeling, I don't know if this is the right thing to say with, with feeling that rights are threatened. They're more willing to be more vocal and to, to, take a stand and carve out a space for themselves. Yeah,
0: so So, that's it. So first thing the church would have to change. And I'd say this is well represented by ex Mormons and and liberal Mormons or or nuanced Mormons who remain in the church coming clean about revelation. What I think we find as we go through this list of, of things that you've come up with is that if the church did change these things, it would take away everything that made it the
1: church. Exactly. Do well you know I mean? that's I as as I came up with a list of what would I what would it have to change? First of all, the list honestly would be hundred items long. Um, yeah. Which is not conducive to a podcast. And two, it becomes something completely different. And this list would be different for every member. You know, if you if you were to have my wife come on and and talk mm-hmm. about it, you know, she would certainly have uh, things. And and I think, honestly, you know, for for those of us who've now um, gone through and and been disillusioned with Mormonism, you you do have to deconstruct, reconstruct your own faith, and you find out how much more fulfilling it is pursuing you know, the spirituality or lack thereof or whatever it is that brings you joy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you it's celebrating a little bit more of the individual, what works mm-hmm. for you.
0: So the next one you've got on the list is uh, own up to the nasty parts of church history. Um, something that I was thinking about was Ford, Henry Ford was like a Nazi supporter and Ford had like factories in Germany and was using like, Slave Jew labor and stuff like that. But when you go to a Ford dealership, it's not like you're not like, okay, I'm I'm on the fence about the Bronco, but I'm not buying this until you come clean about Henry Ford and the Nazi Party. Right. Right? right. It's not like an
1: issue. <laughs> well, for
0: but for some say- people it is,
1: but for most of us, no.
0: No. It's not, it's like Henry, Henry Ford died so many years ago. The company's so far distant from that.
1: That would be the kind of thing that would make us tear down a statue of Henry right. Ford, but right. still buy his car.
0: We'd still <laughs> buy, yeah. F-150 is still the most sold truck in America, right? Yeah. Um, And so I think it's interesting, this idea that the church needs to come clean about its history in order for people to continue to participate I don't know if they need like a public apology, but I think they don't need to be so cagey about it.
1: Well, you know I, I mean? think, yeah, they. I don't think they need a public apology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the one thing I guess that is worth talking about here too, is I think what the church is doing right now, when it talks about the nasty parts of his, its history is, it is trying to inoculate rather than to educate or to be transparent. Mm-hmm. Right. And the difference between the church and your example of Ford is him being a, um, you know, whether he was a Nazi sympathizer or whatever, that has nothing to do with how the F-150 performs. Right. Like um, yeah. Right. Whereas you learn about uh, polygamy, and you find mm-hmm. out that yes, today um, Nelson is sealed to two wives, right? Yeah, it's still part of um, what the product is. Yeah, or or they've they've changed the product. You find out that uh, you know if your your uh, meat is made from uh, your hamburger is made from horse meat, does it change how you want to eat it? You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's maybe a little more indicative what church history has to do with the current church.
0: I I'd agree. So I guess it's okay. So you have model T's or whatever they were manufacturing in Germany, those cars aren't being made anymore. They've significantly improved the product. So what happened 80 years ago is less relevant, but the Mormon church has not had a a significant doctrinal revelation in a hundred years. Really, since Joseph Smith, there's been no doctrine, you know, no new doctrine. All they've been doing is peeling away doctrines and and burying them.
1: Yeah, unless you talk about all the stuff that Brigham Young said that they then, you know, went back on. Exactly. So
0: there's, if, if the Mormon church did have a doctrinal innovation that was valuable and meaningful for people, I think church history would become less relevant. But because the church has done nothing other than bury and suppress, they haven't come up with anything new. That's why people get hung up on church history is because nobody can say, well, look at what the Mormon church has done in the last 50 years. That's so amazing because there's nothing there.
1: Yeah. Well, and and for (laughs) me, it's because again, you're saying all this stuff, most of the church history problems, at least the ones that I have Mm -hmm. come from, saying someone was acting of God Mm -hmm. and then doing something that absolutely wasn't. Yeah. The, the stories of Joe, you know, uh, the Nancy Rigdon letter is one that really resonates with me where he's writing this letter to a 19 year old saying, Mm -hmm. you need to marry me because, you know, happiness is the, the object of our existence and sometimes what God says in one instance is, is right in that instance, but wrong in another. And um, the Lord's telling me that, that we need to get married. That's what's going to make both of us happy in the eternal plan. And it's just manipulation. It's mm-hmm. what, what I cannot, um, and this could be a whole other discussion, I cannot find any good reason for polygamy to have been practiced in that way. And we don't mm-hmm. talk about it the way that it was actually practiced. We gloss over the hard parts about it, but we're still supposed to just kind of take it that this is something that came from God. And to me, it clearly can't have. Mm-hmm. And and then that poisons the well for everything else, right? If, yeah. if we're believing that we're an organization that's led by God. So yeah, it, it, to me, even, even if the church was having these big sweeping revelation changes, because I think, you know some people will view things that you and I would say are minor policy changes or or you know minor um uh, doctrinal adjustments or whatever they'll they'll claim they're big old things um even if you did have a lot of big changes i think it still is a big factor into the truth claim the veracity of of what the church is supposed to be bringing um so my question to you is well, the uh, the church the, the church has brought out the gospel topic essays. Mm-hmm. Isn't that enough? Didn't you hear about this when you read? You know, uh, the the work in the glory books when you were a teenager.
0: So, like, I was well inoculated. I can't remember when I learned about polygamy because I was so young when I learned about polygamy. Do you know what I mean? So, I I was well inoculated. I so, think what, it's what did got, you like, understand as
1: a youth about it?
0: About polygamy? Yeah. Just said Joseph Smith married multiple women. It was given by revelation. Uh, This is something to be practiced in the eternities. It's the law of God. Um, and, And so for me, the internal logic of the system is if God commands it, then it's okay. And so for me, it was God commanded polygamy. I don't need to understand it. I just need to understand that it was a revelation from God, which makes sense with the internal logic of Mormonism. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to the outside world, but as an insider, it's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. Joseph Smith was following God's commandments. What a great prophet. It's just like what Abraham did and other prophets in the old Testament. I believe that's all true. So
1: he's a good guy. Yeah. I I think that's the same level of inoculation that I had, but Mm -hmm. then when you, you know, find out that he's, uh, a having an affair with a teenager and Mm -hmm. marrying someone who is several months Short of Shy. their fifteenth birthday, yeah. <laughs> um, that enact inoc- that inoculation falls flat, and mm-hmm. and the gospel topics essays are certainly like the the bare minimum that they could ever have done yeah. to address any of these issues, right?
0: And I think what like they end up shooting themselves in the foot because they end up glossing over the difficult conversation. And they always take a left turn when they should be taking a right. Like when the natural conclusion should just be, this is um further light knowledge and understanding from the Lord. We realize that Joseph Smith was right about a lot of things, but not right about this thing. And we disavow it. That's the turn they should be making. That's the conclusion the essay should be driving to. And they just turn the other way. Yeah. And double down I, on it.
1: I've had a few conversations now since I have, uh, I've, I've Openly told most of the important people in my life that you know I'm I'm leaving the church, and I've had a few people say that well I don't feel like it was covered up I don't feel like they were hiding anything, um, and I I have to disagree mm-hmm. you know yes the information could have been out there but number one we don't have places to talk about any yeah. of this stuff. You are discouraged from looking into anything because we have this perception of uh, anti-Mormon literature and anything that's outside of the official sources is is anti. And honestly, if it's never talked about in, you know, what, what are the current official sources of the church, right? It's not stuff that's sold on a Deseret books, bookshelf. You know, that that's not going to be part of, you know, the, the official church response. Um, and so from my youth before the creation of the Gospel Topics essays, what really was there? Were you seeing it talked about ever in, in conference or in official um, church curricula lessons or any of that stuff? No, mm-hmm. not to my knowledge. And so learning the, the real truth about it as an adult felt like a huge betrayal
0: mm-hmm i can. yeah i agree with that i think it's i guess what's wrong with the ford analogy is that they don't all like praise henry ford you know what <laughs> i mean and and have to read from a book of stuff that he wrote um and so it you know and then nothing's buried and suppressed it's just like hey we're a car company uh look at our new e-mustang it's outselling the tesla and we've got an e-truck coming out. So sustainability. And you're like, oh my God. This country's this this company's changing the world. Like, why would I give a shit that the founder was an anti Semite? Yeah. <laughs> because they've done so much more for me lately. And and I think the church could be that way if it was just like, oh yeah, Joseph Smith was a polygamist, but look at what we're doing for you now.
1: Yeah. And what what are they doing?
0: We're making you clean toilets <laughs> in the church. But hey, we got hundred billion in the bank. It's like, yeah, hey, you guys aren't oh. doing anything for me. So, so now I'm, I'm really, really pissed off about this thing.
1: My my in-laws are over, and this is just before we kind of came clean with them about where we are. So it's my mm-hmm. my wife's parents, and they're they have just finished uh, serving a, a service mission, you know, family history service missionaries, and they're signing up to do another teaching for the BYU pathways and they, the church doesn't have the money to pay all these new Institute teachers that they need for the BYU pathways program. So they're asking, they put out a call for, you know, 70 volunteers to be able to teach the pathways program this last year. And I am biting my lip so hard because I've learned about the hundred billion dollar enzyme peak fund, which even if the number is a fraction of what that is, what would Mm -hmm. it cost them to pay? you Know 70 institute teachers for a year, and oh, it's so hard not to just blurt it out there,
0: dude. We we had so we rent out our basement to the missionaries, and like just over the years, there's some we get to know, some do a lot, a lot of yard work, some do a great job at you know, of, of the yard work, some do a slack ass job, and mm-hmm. some of them we get to like more than others. But anyway, we had this missionary in our basement who was like a real hard worker, he just hauled ass. Clearing up our backyard and cutting the grass and everything. And we, we really think we still think a lot of him, but he, uh, he asked us to buy him like protein powder or something like that. He was like, (laughs) I'm out of money for the month. Can you guys buy me protein powder? And I was like, aha, the Lord's law of welfare brother. (laughs) First, go talk to your mission president, then ask your family. And then the heathen may, you know, help you and support you in your cause of uh, seeking out protein powder. And and I mean, as like 120 billion dollars sure can buy a lot of protein powder, elder. Like, I'm really surprised you're um, running out of money at the end of the month.
1: Are, are you your know? missionaries well fed by the members?
0: I think so. I like, I don't know.
1: See, I, it makes me wonder. I have seen how people have talked about them not having a lot of money, and like, we had a bit of money to spare in my mission. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because we got fed a lot by the members, yeah. and if we didn't. Then yeah, we would have had to like buy ramen every day as the only yeah. way to actually afford food.
0: Like I think I budgeted twenty it was about twenty English pound uh twenty five English pounds per week, so about fifty dollars a week. Which it yeah, we we had to supplement that with like at least two meal appointments. And I was definitely eating like a lot of uh like tuna sandwiches, like just cheap as I could get. So
1: so anyway let's uh let's go back (laughs) back to where we belong yeah um so the i guess the last thing that i would um mention with respect to the nasty parts of church history so Mm -hmm. recently both me and my wife um, talked with our bishop and let him know you know where we are with our faith transition i'm not going anymore my wife is still wanting to participate, but is, you know, figuring out where she is. And as we're talking to him and telling him, Hey, these are the issues that, you know, we're aware of is he, he asked the question. We don't, we're not trying to break his shelf or anything, but we're, we're being honest about stuff. And he tells my wife, I would love it if you would bring up some of these things in Sunday school. <laughs> and, uh, my wife's like, um, no, <laughs> yeah because it's not a safe space to talk about that i don't know about um other people are are uh, the old folks in our ward would have a heyday <laughs> with with that um i think we really are missing safe spaces to actually have genuine conversations about these topics and if we did yeah i think we'd lose you would lose the uh well, you'd lose a lot of people. You'd lose me, you'd lose the uh, the hardcore people. Um, but for the people trying to stay, I think it would allow them to feel authentic and, and give them uh, at least that sense of comfort that they're no longer having to deceive themselves to be able to come and have a spiritual experience.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I possibly could have continued going if there was a way to talk about things just from a matter of interest.
1: Yeah. You know, it it would have made me feel better about it. Yeah. I think at the end of the day for me though, um, there still was not a positive return, Mm -hmm. you know, on on the time investment, the money investment, the everything that the church asks from you. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. um, on to your next point, peeling back the proclamation on the family and uh, kind of the, the church's, uh, status on uh, stance on women and the LGBTQ community. Um, I'd say, so I see this as one where ex Mormons are frequently critical of the church. They say it has to change. I would say if the church changed this, it would have to rewrite like 90% of its doctrine.
1: You know, so
0: you have to claw back pr- priesthood. Um, Like it's built on gender roles. And if you start giving gays full fellowship, there's this problem with lesbians getting married. There is no priesthood holder in the home. Now you have to give women the priesthood um, so that there can be priesthood holders in this home. And if men and women both hold the priesthood, the Relief Society and Young Women's Organizations cease to be necessary because now you just have priesthood quorums a gender-neutral priest decorum. Um, and the so kind of the backbone, of the spine of eternal families uh, disintegrates.
1: It, it does. Well, everything has to be rewritten. Mm-hmm. But do you think that a organization based on that could function, could exist? Let's say they did rewrite those.
0: They become like the community of Christ, right? And I think what they'd lose is the hardline members who actually show up and do the heavy lifting.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I think they will eventually, I think they'll get painted into a corner where, uh, just like what they did with polygamy, where they can't legally function as an organization without bending yeah. something.
1: I, I agree with that. I like uh, the title nine complaint against BYU recently. I was a little disappointed to see that that didn't go anywhere, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering how, how long does the church have before you know the government steps in and almost forces their hand on yeah. it to be to, to stop discriminating against lbgtq members mm-hmm. and yeah i that's that's an interesting thought if that happens what happens to the church you lose the the heavy lifters so then does it have to go to a paid clergy or does it just become the most lax church environment ever? Cause no right. one, you can't count on anyone to do anything.
0: Well, do you know, even, yes, I think it becomes like a, well, it just become like a regular church. I think regular churches just deal with, yeah, there's a lot of volunteer positions that people don't want to volunteer for. So we hire people to do them yeah. and lots of people just want to show up, drink their coffee, hear their message and go home. And, and they have no desire to be involved more and we don't make people feel like they have to be involved any more than they do. Right.
1: So am I just learning that I just need to go to, you know, whatever non-denominational Christian church is down the street from me? Is that what we're the conclusion we're arriving to?
0: If you get value out of hanging out with a bunch of people <laughs> like praising Jesus, which I don't like, that was probably for me, praising Jesus was the most nause- nauseating part of uh, going to church. Like I really, I like the Old Testament warrior God, and this like Jesus love your neighbor God was like really a boring person in my mind oh, for most of my life. Right.
1: See I, 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 I always, love, I love the atonement story, and uh, I just kind of forgot about all the the Old Testament God. If we if we were to play like uh, a, a strategy board game, I'd be trying to mm-hmm. take the pacifist route, and you'd be right. conquering all my shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that, like
0: that's what I thought as a teenager, it was like I identified with all these mythical, magical warrior stories, and Jesus was always extremely boring. And then like when I was around 18 through 20, when I really, really hated myself because of what the church told me, then the atonement was beautiful because I hated myself so much. And that was the only relief from all my self-loathing. So you just need to start hating the yourself atonement. from a young age. And then, yeah, <laughs> and and then Jesus becomes it. relevant. But I was <laughs> like, oh, this, and then like hearing born agains talk about like how much they love Jesus and the love of Jesus and grace and love and grace and love. And I'm like, I'm going to throw up if you guys use either of those words one more time, because this is like the most boring theology in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that this is true for a whole bunch of people. Like my, my uh, missionary training and mission experience had me so inoculated against the idea of other Christian religions being true. You know, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I tried to look at a lot of things logically. And so I'd start picking holes of, well, that can't be true because of X, Y, and Z. You know, there, there, any Christian church that didn't have the idea of baptisms for the dead, um, if, they, if they insisted on baptism as being a saving ordinance and they didn't offer it as an option for people who were never exposed to the gospel in life, then they can't be true, mm-hmm. right? So all these things like that convinced me that other Christian churches can't be true. So then take away the true claims of the Mormon church and suddenly, you know, it, it leaves me in this position where... I probably am closer to atheist than agnostic somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere between those two. Um, anyway. Yeah. So it just, it, it kind of ruined the whole thing there.
0: Are you in there? Here's one that I've been using for myself as an apatheist, an apathetic atheist. Yeah. I would say that, but like, I don't
1: think people know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> like,
0: it's, I just do not care.
1: You could be there. I don't thing. care
0: yeah yeah, it could be there i don't care so it's not even that i've put enough thought to say i think it's highly unlikely that he's not there it's i don't care enough to think about whether or not he could be there
1: yeah well and i think the mormon concept of heaven that even if you're just like an okay average dude you get mm-hmm. some degree of glory you know yeah. maybe maybe if i had this uh long held belief since my childhood that i needed to be saved or i was going to be burning in hell forever you know mm-hmm. then i might care a little bit more but
0: about the love of the love of jesus you know this guy who made this hell so that he could die so that you wouldn't have to it's like why don't you come up with a better plan man i mean yeah. like i had i had a pair of missionaries ask me like what are you going to do on judgment day how are you going to feel on judgment day if it is true and i'm saying um, I'm going to tell him you did a pretty shitty job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. He could have he no done a
0: bit better. Uh, well, I'm going to uh, look you know, around at like,
1: everyone else who just have their, you know, did you have this idea of you were going to watch this like VHS of your life playthrough? Yeah. And, all and your- everybody
0: was going to watch it. Your sins were going to be shouted from the rooftops.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now I'm realizing that everyone's going to have just as much shit on their, their highlight reel as me. Yeah. <laughs> so. and And
0: God's going to have the most on his, it's yeah. like, Hey, ultimate cosmic power and you did nothing, but you helped this guy find his car keys and you helped this person feel good about their driving exam and you let genocide after genocide happen. But I mean, these things that don't matter, you sure showed a lot of interest in buddy. Um, Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) next one you've got is diversify the leadership.
1: So, I mean, well, you, you kind of shot this one down already. You know, if you don't have uh, um, segregation of priesthood and relief society, then the whole thing crumbles. Um, I I am tired of geriatric old men being the people that lead the organization and it being 30 to 50 years behind. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, were you ever embarrassed to be a Mormon in high school? I was embarrassed because... Mormons were so far behind the times on every major social issue Mm -hmm. because we're led by these guys who, you know, they, they're uber hardliners taught by people from 30 years ago. So we're, you know, we're, we're saying that homosexuals are sinners and, and speaking in that kind of language, I was embarrassed of it. I wouldn't want to be tied to that stuff.
0: Because gay marriage was only legalized like while we were in high school. Yeah. Or maybe it was legalized in 2005. You'd already graduated. I think I was in grade 12. Um, so I found like in our backwards province that we grew up in, I was able to find enough people on the conservative family values side of the fence who could also identify with me. Yeah. Who weren't Mormon. That even though it, w- it was like a... I think now it's like... If you speak out against gay marriage, you're like a, a pariah, right? Whereas yeah. maybe back when I was in high school, I could still find another group of weirdos who would identify with me. Yeah but now and now they're they're gone.
1: So I know at the local level mm-hmm. our our people are trying to do this a little bit more, but I think that's a case of Bishop Roulette. Our mm-hmm. bishop is trying to make sure that everyone in their work council is having a voice in it, whether they're a high priest group leader or the young women's president or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the major scale, you still look at a general conference uh, leadership chart and there's, you know, 90 men and six women yeah. on there. Yes. And all the men are 50 plus, but most of them skewed to the 70 and above mm-hmm. kind of age group.
0: I think, I think just some diversity of thought would be good for me. If uh, Even if there's diversity of thought, I could maybe get a little bit more on board with that. If they could challenge each other theologically um, and try and innovate and argue about things and come up with something new, I could get behind that. But there is no diversity of thought. Like Everybody's got to fall in line, every general conference. Everybody's yeah. got to fall in line uh, down to the ward level. And uh, and if you disagree publicly or openly, you are you're shamed and uh, and discarded, right?
1: Yeah, man. I would I would love to see the Quorum of the twelve like duke it out over an issue. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it's like behind closed doors on a, a hot topic that they don't agree on. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, it's. <sighs> Obviously, when you're looking at people of that age, you're not going to have the, the diversity of thought, the, the new ideas brought forth by the youth. And that's not saying that, I mean, young people were stupid too. Um, mm-hmm. We're not always going to bring in value. Um, but it's uh, when it's so clear that the organization is lagging behind the times, uh they, they certainly need that perspective. Have you watched any of the videos that um, are like the leaked um, briefings? Yeah. The so, gay agenda. Is he a part of the gay agenda? Yeah. So, so for people who are not aware, this is, I don't know, from 2006 or somewhere around that time period. Um, the El- elder Gong, who I think is then part of the 70 is giving the Cormor of the 12 a um, kind of primer on WikiLeaks and on Julian Assange, and saying, "Hey, organizations are having their secure data leaked online, and all their secrets are being out there for the public to consume. So mm-hmm. this could be an issue for the church, right? And yeah. what is it that the core of the twelve latch onto?" Is that someone in that pre- someone that they talked about was gay? So instead of being concerned about their potential security issues and all their sensitive information being out there for the world to see, yeah. Well, are these people promoting the gay agenda? Agenda? It's like, how out right? of touch are you guys?
0: <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, we're talking about data leaks, and it's like, well, are they homos?
1: Yeah.
0: If it's homos leaking our data, we don't want that. Like, let's yeah. get let's get our priorities straight here. Data leaks okay. Homo data leaks, not okay. Um, oh, the next one you've got is worthiness interviews. Um, so I think, like an interesting thing with worthiness interviews is that's where you break the membership, and I don't know how the church can control members without it.
1: The the more I've been distanced from it, and the more cynical I've become. Like I, I really want to understand, I think is the next rabbit hole I go down is when did the whole worthiness interviews get introduced into the church? Mm-hmm. And dear listeners, if that's something you have information, send it send it along for Andrew to share with me because it really does seem like it's just implemented as a way of controlling the members.
0: One hundred percent, it is a way of, it is the number one way to control everything.
1: And it's um and and my understanding well again apologists are going to say what they say i believe that certain things were implemented changes to how the word of wisdom was was implemented um so that they would have another question to ask in worthiness interviews to be able to have a wrangle hold on the members um is that maybe a bit out there a bit conspiracy theorist sure but um give me some good counterpoints to the other side of that argument.
0: So I, um, I think the other side, it, there, there was a big uh, teetotaler mo- movement in the 1900s and there was a, uh, you had prohibition and the yeah. church is looking to fit in. So it's like, we'll write these things that fit with pro- prohibition and teetotalism into our doctrine. And then we'll be just like everybody else.
1: Just like everybody
0: else, but and and then and then when they see the mahogany in our temple, they'll want to be just like us.
1: <laughs> and we need, and to, we need to keep asking dollar... them if they're paying their tithing. Otherwise, yeah. we're not going to be able to survive. So we need I think, to keep guilting them on that.
0: Yeah, my theory on that is that the because the church is good at like data, I think the church is undoubtedly good at market and data analysis. They would look at they do a bunch of surveys. They'd say, okay. We've got all these members who've been active after 50 years or 30 years or whatever. What things are they doing? They received the Melchizedek priesthood at 18. They went on missions. They paid their tithing and they attended the temple. What things are we going to beat from the pulpit now? These four or five things that we found in common with members who stayed active over 50 years. Yeah. Oh, I
1: think you're right. 100%. And as soon as it gives them a method to start seeing, as soon as it starts to slip, so then we can start uh, asking their executive secretary to call people into the state president's office or the bishop's office to (laughs) start getting them back in line.
0: Yeah. Straighten these things out. I think I actually had a friend from high school, uh, who ended up being in the ward I was in after we were first married. Um, and he's still a faithful member of the church. As far as I know, um, him and his wife's temple recommends like lapsed for a month. And there was like a lot of pressure to get them in the Bishop's office. And I remember like, I'm trying to set up these interviews for them and they're kind of like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, well, Bishop's kind of concerned your temple recommend. They're like, Oh shit. Our temple recommends expired. Like, Oh, we forgot. Like it was a very, very innocent thing, but it became like a big deal because they were, I think he was, she was in primary. He's in the young men's presidency or elders corn presidency and their temple recommends are lapsed. And um,
1: we, we had a um, bishop in YSA who liked to talk yeah. about from the pulpit, how he would be watching as people were taking the sacrament. Instead of, instead of trying to have his own spiritual experience, he was just like eagle eyed scanning to see who wasn't partaking in the sacrament that week so that he could get them called in to, uh, <laughs> to talk with them. And uh, I had that guy as an employer and yeah. I can tell you that he is not what I would call a Christ-like individual. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's... I think there's absolutely, can be benefit from having one-on-one discussions with a uh, a spiritual leader or uh, a counselor or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the the leadership in the church, I don't think, has um, the right training to to do any of that kind of work. But in, in my opinion, any of those kinds of things should be voluntary on the members Mm -hmm. to, to go in and to, you know, Hey, I need, I need to pick me up. I need, I'm struggling with this thing. Let them come to you. Um,
0: Like I'd say without, with, with a few exceptions that I've mentioned on the podcast already, most of my one-on-one interviews with my bishops were, totally positive. And when I went from youth to YSA, and then all of a sudden to the family word in youth and YSA, you get a lot of attention, one-on-one attention from your leaders. And then it was like, as soon as I was married, they couldn't get me out of the interview fast enough for a temple recommend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and It was
0: really shocking and just jarring like this, all this one-on-one attention and focus. And then as soon as you're married, they don't give a flying fuck. They've got too much other shit to deal with. And it was like, we, I was like, but I used to be important or I used to like feel important. And now that I'm married, you just don't care.
1: I mean, it's like missionaries pumping up their stats. It's another lesson taught. It's another, right. another yeah. member with a recommend. It, it looks yeah. good for me. But yeah. I mean, We're that ahead. I, I can appreciate, I feel like there's a number of bishops who are probably struggling Pemos who, uh, uh don't want to spend their time (laughs) temple recommend interviews interviews
0: yeah but it was still it was i looked to bishops as a source of guidance and uh and just um sounding board and then it was like as soon as i was married it was like nope got other things to work which i appreciate like they are mandated to look after the youth and stuff like that so i appreciate it but it was just like this weird all of a sudden bishop couldn't care less And I used to be the most important person in the room. And now they just want me out of there as fast as they can. So um, anything else? I think one thing you said about worthiness interviews, if they had the right training, I think the other side of that is that not only do they lack the right training, all the training they have is the wrong training.
1: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, it's, it's at least good to see that they are tightening up on the questions that are asked. I -hmm. I had a discussion with someone who's still in, who just had uh, their temple recommend interview and whose Mm -hmm. father-in-law is the counselor in the state presidency who did the interview. So he asked a couple candid questions and said, Oh yeah, no, we're, we're not allowed to really deviate from the script anymore. So hopefully that means less bishops asking questions that they're not supposed to. less uh, trauma-inducing events. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I have been pretty lucky as far as the interviews and the questions that I was asked. But I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people who were not quite so. So it's got to go. Yeah. In my opinion.
0: Um, But then they lose the control, right? Which is... Like, I just think it's interesting because there are ex-Mormons who will... Or nuanced Mormons who will campaign for all these things but once you get these things the church will fall apart um yeah yeah so I another mean, one you've got oh sorry go ahead
1: no no i agree the, the the church as it is would fall apart i mean they've got the funds to, to change whatever they want and be yeah. able to to last for a while but they won't do it and the the structure that it has yeah would would become Again, I think we're driving to the conclusion that I, I would be uh, happier at the non-denominational church across the street than <laughs> <laughs> go back At to
0: the, the Mormon church. church. Yeah. Um, so the next one you had on here I thought was interesting. Word of wisdom. Um, now,
1: substitute for this, any weird um, <laughs> church rule, you know, Mormon only rule. But I think the word of wisdom is a good representation of as soon as you kind of, to me, find out that Joseph was uh, doing things by the seat of his pants, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, when, when Emma says, I'm tired of cleaning the tobacco off the floor, and they come up with this revelation. Um, yeah. But learning that it only was being applied in its current form since the 1920s. Um, so why are we letting this weird, weird rule And um, I am someone who is unhealthily addicted to Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Totally okay, by the word of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Not by the spirit of the law, maybe, but, you know, me and a million other Mormons out there who are addicted to Diet Coke. Tell me how coffee's worse than that. And, like, it's really not. In, in no way shape or form doctors yeah. will actually recommend for some people to have a couple of cups of coffee a day to help with digestive issues or other things. I mm-hmm. don't think there's any sane, uh, doctor who would be able to keep their, uh, their license to practice <laughs> recommending right. people to have a couple of cups a day. Yeah. Um, definitely so, agree. Yeah. It's, uh, and isn't it funny to learn, um, for me, lo- learning that Joseph actually had a bar in his Nauvoo house mm-hmm. was something that uh, was a bit of uh, a wake-up call. Uh, and I think this ties back into what we, we just talked about with the Word in his interviews. Um, to me, the Word of Wisdom was one of those things that was an easy method for the church to exercise some kind of control over its members and and maybe more so than anything to control their image. They didn't want to have people as, as drunkards or whatever out there. And so they implemented it to the uh, temple recommend interviews back in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so interesting to me. It's like, we have all these things in the church where um, we, we call someone and we expect them, you know, if the Lord says jump members are supposed to say how high, right? Mm-hmm. immediately respond. No, no hesitancy. But the word of wisdom is this weird thing where it's a revelation that was given and we're going to make this long um, drawn out period to give people time to actually comply with it. And it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. You know, it's You talking about Joseph Smith with the bar. I remember looking at one of the manifests. It was in like a primary or youth lesson. It was a manifest for the things that the pioneers were supposed to take with them. Yeah. And one of the things was coffee yeah um and so i was like why do they have to pack coffee and they're like oh it's just a different time i'm like but the word of wisdom had already been given so why? well the word of wisdom wasn't you know revealed to be a commandment until later and you know i actually have a uh this would be my great uncle uh southern alberta mormon through and through but he well he's passed away now um but i used to work at their notable ice cream shop Um, (laughs) yeah and they'd have coffee i remember yeah i'd make the coffee if i was on the morning shift and i if i was on the closing shift i'd have to throw out the coffee and it was like the coffee pot was always just as full at the start of the day as what it was at the end of the day
1: yeah
0: and and what the employees would tell me they're like oh yeah i think the only people who drink that is your uncle it's like my uncle drink coffee but he's like a temple worker and like so i asked my mom and my mom's like well you know what? Your great uncle he grew up in a generation like, where the word of wisdom was still a gray area, and like people didn't really read the Book of Mormon, or really talk about their testimonies. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just oh. kind of like culturally Mormon. I'm like, but he does all the Mormon stuff. Like he's at the temple and he has a calling, and all. And they're like, yeah, just a different generation, son. I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, I
1: think I think it's so funny. If if I had to go back. I think I, I I now love my morning cup of coffee. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that I genuinely look forward to each day. And I think the most spiritual experience that I've had in the last five years was mm-hmm. uh, having the house to myself, reading a book with a nice warm latte and just appreciating yeah. like the, the, <laughs> the serenity of that morning. Um, it's yeah. probably more spiritual than any experience I had in the church in the last 10 years. Um, yes, but I, I think agree. I could easily give it up if, if that was the thing that I had to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so you look back at the early church, and this is a time when they were calling people to pick up and move across country. Mm-hmm. They were telling people to go and serve a mission and leave their family behind at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Ah, but the word of wisdom, giving up coffee. We'll give you ten, you know, a century to comply with that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little inconsistent. Anyway, so I, I just thought that that's funny. It, it, and again, um, people, maybe you're going to look at this saying, oh, Brother Nelson just wants a, Nielsen wants an excuse to sin here. Um,
0: no, but I'd say like there's weird dressing grooming standards. There's weird standards around movies and beards, other things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Beards. But, and um, like there are a lot of weird expectations that yes, they should just drop, I think. But at the same time, the control, you lose the control.
1: Yeah, they're the kind of things that when you apply a level of scrutiny to, you say, why is having a beard something that is going to negatively impact this person's relationship with God or their spirituality? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you look back at every picture of Jesus and every picture of the early Mormon prophets who've got the weird beards where they shave just their chin, but they leave all the hair on it. Like, what? What, how does it make any sense? Um, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, cut I you was off done there. there. They, they're, You're done? they're rules that, I mean, you can try and contort away into saying that, uh, you know, yes, coffee is an addictive substance. Okay, what about the million other addictive substances that, uh, mm-hmm. that we're doing? We're not creating a law against them. Why is it that no member of church leadership is permitted to have facial hair? What mm-hmm. are these weird reasons that God suddenly cares so much about? Um,
0: exactly. Like well, that's he why looks the other
1: way on a million other things
0: on a lot of other things. I know. Cause he's got a control. I remember like you remember when I was in high school, I grew my hair out long. I remember, I think in grade 10, I got it cut a bit shorter and uh, I had a few friends. Actually who actually going. Right. Yeah. So I, like I cut it a bit shorter and I had one friend who also grew his hair out long. He was like, why'd you cut your hair? I'm like, "Well, like my bishop at church made me do it. And my, (laughs) my friend looked at me and he's like, what's like, what's a bishop? I'm like, well, like my pastor at my church, he told me I have to, and my friend looked at me, he says, you're in a fucking cult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> any, any of those rules, where if you try to explain them to someone outside of the organization, you just feel stupid. Yeah. To
0: explain. And trying to explain that you're like modifying what you're doing because some guy at church told you that that's what you need to do. Yeah. was like, and I remember getting real defensive. I'm like, it's not a cult. This is my choice. I think was what I doubled down on. And he, <laughs> he's like, no, you're in a fucking cult. Yeah, you you find ways of convincing yourself that it's not stupid. Not (laughs) what you thought, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then the last point you've got here is the question, like, what do I actually get out of it? So I guess like what the church would change is it would need to provide you something meaningful to get out of it on Sundays.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, so let's say that it changed all these things and the million other things that are on my list that I would want to see changed. At the end of the day, uh, what was it that you said to me uh, last week, you, when you were going through your your decision of leaving the church, you said, "Well, is it true? No. Well, is it useful?
0: It was true, and, good, useful.
1: True, so it good, true, and useful. Is it good? Is it useful? And uh, and, and for that, me, yeah, that was my bargaining phase. For me, I would add in the fourth one. You know." It, or maybe maybe this would be good. Falling under the mm-hmm. good, like what what good was it bringing into my life? And and I can look back and at least see positive traits in my character that that I can attribute to my time in the church. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it wasn't useful for some of those things, mm-hmm. but I could have got them somewhere else. Yes, and yeah, when exactly. I look at the overall uh, balancing of the scales, you know what the church did give me when I was trying to actually live it is you know it, it convinced me to try and chase this ideal of what happiness should be that wasn't mm-hmm. authentic to myself and that led me to be miserable mm-hmm. and um it it uh as a young person it led me down this path of rushing into commitments and this might have been our local leadership who, mm-hmm. who did this. Um, but get married as soon as you can start pumping out babies before you are financially set up to be yeah. able to do so. Get into all these lifelong commitments before you have the tools and are equipped to be able to, to do that. Don't date until you're 16. Mm-hmm. Don't seriously date, you know, before your mission, come back from your mission, get married. Right. Yeah. Um, and never, never develop the tools to be able to actually look for what, uh, you're, you should look for in a life partner and, and be able to function with that person. Um, So it, it persuaded me to do all this and it took me a long time to be able to recover from that, Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of find myself and find the things that, you know, bring me happiness. So now that I have that, I, I see the things that bring me happiness, that bring the good in my life. And I can do that without the church. And the church right now in its current form doesn't contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even if we make all these changes, I, I'd i be spending my time somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I my, my hobbies doing that bring me more joy than sitting in a room. Um,
0: There's one thing that I could get on board with is a real elders, like a vibrant elders quorum that did good in the community. I could get on board with that. But one thing that like that I wrestled with as I was on my way out was I was like, I spend all these hours doing church shit that I call community service, but I'm really just serving this church.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was like, if we just got out and did like an adopt a highway, if the elders quorum did like an adopt a highway and we cleaned up a highway uh, once a month, I could get on board with that. If we volunteered a soup kitchen once a month, I could get on vo- on board with that but all we do, like we do a food drive once a year and pat ourselves on the back. Like we're the second coming of Jesus.
1: I, I felt that way about home teaching or ministering, whatever they're calling it. Now we had this yeah. guy in one word who like, if it was the last day of the month and he hadn't gotten to us to home teach, he was yeah. calling us or showing up at our door or whatever. It didn't matter that we had young kids that were trying to, you know, just Go gone bed. down for a nap. Didn't matter yeah. that, you know, I had just gotten back from, you know, my five hours of meetings or whatever, it didn't matter how inconvenient it was for us. He had Mm -hmm. to do that thing. He had to check the box and who's that serving? Uh, You know, it wasn't serving us. And, and, you know, I look at the time commitment that the church was asking for me. I agree. You know, so much of it is going into not serving the people, but serving the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could, I could get behind something like that too. And Ultimately, that's kind of where I've gone since leaving the church is I've found things that I want to volunteer to where, you know, you, you hear the, the phrase, it's the same 10 people that show up to things. Go find yeah. the thing where you're that same 10 person where you want to be the person showing up every week. Right. You know, I, I started to realize that, you know, uh, the people who show up to those. Yeah, they're, they're the people that love the church. I, I never understood them until now. I don't agree with them. I would never mm-hmm. be that way with the church, but I've found the things, the passions in my life where I want to go and volunteer for this thing and I would like it if other people volunteered more, but even if not, I'm enjoying my time out there. So what like what are some of the things you volunteered for? Um the the big thing this is just going to show how much of a nerd I am. Disc golf ah. is like my my big oh, passion. Okay. That, that yeah. I do, and so I'm on the the local club and getting out there and helping to install new courses and do clinics for people getting out into it. So again, it's not super cherry work, but it's you know something I'm passionate about. Something, and it's I still community, and that's value. Yeah, it's yeah it it exploded as a sport during the pandemic because it was something that people could do to safely get outside and to enjoy and i think it contributed a lot to mental health of of people over the last year so that's that's my apologist line on why it's uh, <laughs> oh no i think
0: that's that's not an apologist line like that's um cuz even if you're like you don't need to be feeding the homeless that's not the only kind of way to serve in your community just building a community is a way to serve in your community, I think. And that still adds value. Um, I'm still a wanderer. I think I've been, I was so jaded by the church as an organization, um, that I've spent the last couple of years, not believing in any organization. Um, but now I think over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of like, okay, I think I can love again. I think I can find,
1: <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to put myself out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm ready to, <laughs> Ready to be hurt. I'm ready to be vulnerable. Maybe there's something I can get involved in in a meaningful way to to help and serve in, and and not be so jaded and cynical.
1: All right. Well, I look forward to hearing about it.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I was to find one. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah. Okay. So, any any thoughts you want to leave to round this out and and finish up?
1: Yeah. Um. So obviously, this uh, meandering discussion has been more about me. Uh. Everyone, it's going to look different for everyone else, and I think the healthy part of this discussion is to make sure that we're asking ourselves, like, you know, what what is it that you actually want to get out of uh, time? Find what what are you going to find for yourself that's going to be personally fulfilling? That's mm-hmm. going to fill that hole. If you haven't yeah. found it yet, you know, are are you looking? Um, you know, maybe you've gone there, and and I'm still. You know, trying to do that for myself. Obviously, there are holes in the organization. I don't ever see getting the the fulfillment that I need from participating in the church. Um, but people like my my wife are still trying to to find that path and trying to figure out what that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I guess that's all I've got to say. In the name of cheese and rice, amen. Amen.